0: Welcome to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to divest from capitalism and the norms of modern work and step into the soulful calling of these times we live in, which includes the call to rekindle our relationship with the earth. I'm Megan Leatherman, a mother to two small kids, writer, amateur ecologist, and vocational guide. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm your host today. Hi, friend, and welcome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this space with me. Our themes for this autumn season of the podcast, of course, have been death and darkness. And those two things are still very much upon us. The days are getting shorter and shorter here in the Northern Hemisphere. We see the dead leaves and plant matter sort of composting into the earth. And what better animal being to help us work with these themes but the crow? And the crow is going to be our teacher for today's episode. The crows are my neighbors. They are everywhere in the city of Portland and in my neighborhood. I see them all throughout the day, every day. And this time of year especially, their commute from my neighborhood to their downtown winter roost is really obvious and something i notice almost every day Um, it's well known that here in portland uh, the crows thousands tens of thousands of crows descend upon the trees in downtown portland at night i believe what i've read is that it's in order to stay protected and together against their natural predators like larger raptors including the owl and uh, nocturnal you know predators and so they make this daily commute you can see these groups of crows flying from you know my neighborhood all over the city downtown and they roost there at night and then they come back and I see them you know around dawn sort of remaking themselves in their communities in the trees around I interact with these creatures a lot I don't know them as intimately as I would like to I don't know them individually, you know, Um, but there are a couple that seem to always be visiting our yard looking for morsels of food. I say hi to them all the time on my walks. I say hi to them when they're in our front yard. I might leave seeds out for them. Yeah, it's sort of like they literally are my neighbors. I'm in touch with them sometimes more often than the people that I live next to, and so there are many sort of anecdotes that I or stories that I could share about interactions with these creatures and some of those might come through today but they're not only important to me and I'm sure you have your own relationship to crows but they are long-standing symbols and guides and uh, sort of a controversial creature throughout lore, folklore, and history. They have this deep, rich, black color on their feathers and their beaks, and they have seen been seen throughout history as both bad omens and also signs of divine messages or goodwill. A group of them is called a murder, like they've been known to exchange treasures or trinkets with people. It's a complicated relationship that we have with these creatures, and I think it sort of mimics the complicated relationship we have to the darkness and to death and to an intelligence that is not of the light or daytime consciousness and so there's more than meets the eye here for sure they are definitely symbols of mysticism and if you can imagine being outside in a wild place at dusk And there is a murder of crows above you screeching into the sky all around you and the sun is setting. That's kind of the vibe that I'm tapping into right now. Um, It's this sort of otherworldly, it might strike fear, it might strike awe, you might believe that you're getting a message. I often feel as though they are in conversation with something larger maybe than just themselves. So, Today I want to share some facts about these creatures so you can get an appreciation for who they are, some lore about them that is seen in many, many cultures across the world, and then see what wisdom we can weave together about, you know, what this amazing being might have to teach us today. Before I dive in, I want to say thank you so much to Claire, Steph, and Morgan for supporting the show financially by chipping in at my new site. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you to each of you, and if you're listening and this podcast is meaningful to you, it would be really wonderful if you helped make it sustainable by contributing once or monthly, and you can learn more about that at buymeacoffee.com slash Megan Leatherman. If you would like to work with the darkness intentionally, I just started a free four-week series called Needing More, a four-week pilgrimage into darkness. Every Sunday, starting November 26th, I'll be turning off my electrical lighting earlier in the evening and sort of surrendering to the growing darkness, and I'm going to be inviting others to do the same. This is something that my little family and I do every year. We've been doing it for at least four, maybe five years. I can't remember what is time even. Um, But some of the things we notice right away are that we're wanting to go to sleep earlier. We're having different kinds of conversations in the dark or by candlelight. And we wake up the next day feeling a lot more refreshed than normal. So there are so many benefits to increasing your time in the darkness, just your hormone regulation, appetite regulation, uh, your circadian rhythm resetting, your nervous system regulation, but also opening up a portal to dreams and insights that you may um, need access to right now in this sort of challenging and uh, tumultuous time on our planet so uh, I would love to have you I know it's hard to commit to turning your lights off when in the evening when we're so used to like our nighttime rituals and routines and tv or whatever so this series is just a little nudge and a way to do this with other people and see if you can increase your time in the darkness before the winter solstice on December 21st So the link to sign up for that, again, there's three weeks left now. It's free. The link to sign up for that is in the show notes. Finally, I'll just share that if you're feeling the draw to making a pretty meaningful transformation or change in your working life or the way that you earn income or how you are of service in this world, I want to remind you that I do work with people one-on-one there is still a little bit of time to start the process before the end of the year. I'll be taking time off until about the third week of January, Um, so if you would like to connect and learn more about that and see if it might be a good fit for both of us, you can learn more about that at the link in the show notes and schedule a free consultation um, before the end of the year. All right, I'm going to read us our opening invocation and just sort of set the tone for our time together. So wherever you are, you can take a deep breath Can notice your body and time and space, notice what it's like to be you today in this life, in your life right now. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures that we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible. And I'm grateful to the Cowlets and Clackamas tribes, among many others, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on." Okay, I want to start with some just facts about the crow so we can kind of get a sense of who they are and what they're like and how do they move in the world. And so today what I'm, the being that I'm talking about is the American crow. There are only two species of crow on the U.S. mainland here in North America. And the, there's the American crow, and then there's the fish crow, which is found more often on the East Coast. And the main differences are that the fish crow is, as its name might intimate, they're staying mostly near water. And also this, their uh, call, their caw sound, is a little more nasally than the American crow. But for most intents and purposes, they are very, very similar. I also want to differentiate a little bit um, between the American crow and the common raven. So both of these birds exist here in the Pacific Northwest and all across the world really and the United States. The raven is larger than a crow. It's actually um, the size of a hawk often, a red-tailed hawk specifically, and it has a larger beak than the American crow. the raven will often travel in pairs or smaller groups, whereas the American crow is usually found in a larger family group called a murder. And the sounds that ravens make are different than the sounds that crows make. A crow is like a, a very traditional like caw caw sound, and the raven will it make more of like a croaking sound, which I'm not going to try to do for you, but you can look it up. Um, their tail shapes are also a little bit different, so the American crow's tail's feathers are more even, so when you see them spread, it will form like a fan shape, but all three of these birds, the American crow, the fish crow, and the common raven, are members of the same genus, the same corvus. The corvus is the name of the genus, so they're very closely related, and in terms of like folklore and um, meaning that we might make from working with them you could sort of put them together in the same basket if you wanted to. Crows are omnivores and scavengers. They will sort of eat anything, which is part of the reason that they are thriving in cities right now when so many other creatures are struggling. Their natural predators, like I said, are other larger uh, raptors like owls, eagles, and hawks. Crows are very intelligent. You probably know this already from your own observations with them. According to one study that was cited in an Audubon Society article, their intelligence is really on par with chim- chimpanzees, which we think of as very close relatives of the humans, right? Crows have been documented using tools. I see them here dropping nuts you know, from the telephone pole down to the street to try to get them to crack open. They will play tricks on other birds so that they can, you know, distract them and get to their eggs and their nests. They are absolutely opportunists and they're very clever. And at times they will also eat dead animals and scavenge for, for carrion. Their lifespan is about seven to eight years, whereas the lifespan of the raven is a little bit longer, more like 10 to 15 years. That could be related to their size um, or just their adaptability. They know and recognize us. (laughs) us <laughs> and this is like a this is a really um, important thing to note, I think. and to remember about the rest of the beings that you share space with anyway, many of us feel as though we're moving through our lives anonymously, right We go to the grocery store and maybe we don't see anyone we know or we remember the checkout person but they don't remember us or we feel like we can move through sort of unnoticed. But it's helpful to remember that the beings that you share an immediate space with, your home or your neighborhood or places where you frequent, um, the beings there know you. They know your energetic presence. They know what you look like. They might know, you know, the way that you walk or your gait or when you're there, or what you bring with you. We're not these anonymous figures that can just sort of move through the world without having any impact you know we, we are known by not everyone but by some people and some beings and crows are some of those beings that absolutely will know us if we if we share a space with them um, i want to read you a quote from an article this is again from the audubon society website um, it says quote crow communities can hold a grudge for generations a team of researchers at the University of Washington ran an experiment where they captured American crows in nets while wearing a caveman mask, then released them back onto campus. When the researchers later walked across campus wearing the same mask, the crows scolded and dive-bombed them. More than 10 years after capturing just seven crows, more than half of the crows on campus still raised the alarm at the sight of a caveman mask, end quote. So that's like generational knowledge getting shared, and seven crows is not that many in the midst of like larger, some of these communities can be quite large, but all of that, what happened to those seven crows was shared throughout the community, taught to their young, and acted upon, and that's, that's incredible, and I have had a similar experience you know, I go for walks in my neighborhood all the time, and I often walk the same route, and we've lived here for four years now, and I was walking down the usual little street that I walked down, and a couple blocks away from my house, I started hearing a lot of screeching from crows up in this big tree above me, and I just sort of thought they were having some kind of interaction, like it, it was between them, you know, so I just sort of kept walking, and then Um, two crows landed on the telephone pole above me but beneath the tree and were just screeching like crazy at me and so I turned up and I looked and I just you know I said hi and I said I started I think I asked some questions like are you I don't have any food or um, I'm just gonna keep walking it was kind of unsettling so I just sort of made my intentions known and chatted with them for a second and then I kept walking and one crow in particular followed me and jumped ahead of me on the telephone pole and kept screeching and flapping its wings urgently and very distressingly and I said again i don't know what you need i don't have anything i'm not going to hurt you you know i was just and someone one of my neighbors who i knew walked by and i know i looked like you know <laughs> I don't know what I looked like, but I'm having this conversation with this crow that's like screeching at me. And so I I didn't know what to do. And I said, okay, I'm just going to walk away now. So I walked another few feet and sure enough, this crow leaps ahead of me in front on the telephone pole and continues screeching. I think this point it flew above my head a little bit. It didn't dive bomb me, but um, was definitely making its presence known. So I said, okay, maybe you don't want me on this street anymore. So I took a right instead. I crossed the street and went on a different street where I don't usually go. I left, you know, and this crow follows me again down this other street and is screeching at me and I didn't know what to do now, um... And I just said, okay, I'm going to go home. It seems like you don't want me out here. So I turned around and I retraced my steps, went back down this main street. And the crow followed me for another two blocks, you know, screeching and screeching. And then I would walk past it and under it. And it would come ahead of me again, screeching and screeching. I'd go past. I'd say, I'm leaving. I'm sorry if you didn't want me here. I'm going to go home now. And about maybe 10 yards away from my house, you know, I went up to my front porch and the crow stayed across the street and just sort of watched as I came to my front porch. And I said, all right, well, (laughs) you know, thanks anyway or whatever. Um, And I went inside and I got some seeds and brought them out and put them on the front porch as a... Either a goodwill gesture or a thank you in case they were trying to protect me from some harm. I don't know. I still don't know why that happened. It's never happened to me before. I don't know if I looked like someone that had hurt them before um, or if it was, you know, again, something maybe I wasn't aware of was some danger was lurking ahead and they were trying to get me to turn around. Like I said, they left me alone once they knew once they could see I went back into my back toward my home so it it kind of felt like they knew where I lived and they wanted to put me back sort of in my place um so I don't know what that was uh maybe it will make sense later in a few years but they absolutely know us and I have no doubt about that and I wish I knew them as well as they might know us but that's something I think we could work on The other really interesting thing about these birds is that they do hold funerals or wakes for dead community members. Researchers believe that this is so that they can learn about potential threats and understand how their companion or family member died, which makes a lot of sense, but they are really social and familial birds. They live in large communities with dozens of interrelated families, and I think a ritual like this, it could be safe to infer that there is also a sense of loss and grief that could be felt, that the The presence that they bring to their dead companion and the sort of ruckus that they make, the um, noise that they make around their dead loved one has meaning. I think we could at least stay open to that because they are so intelligent and so social. And obviously, if they reacted the way they did on that campus when seven birds were trapped and scared, you know, it makes it sounds like there's definitely a protective connective feature to the the lives of these amazing creatures. So I want to just share a few things about crow lore, and uh, I'll just say that crows are prominent symbols of magic, death, of the other world, of trickery, of divination, all throughout history and across cultures. Um, In Roman folklore, Apollo was symbolized by the crow in his capacity to prophesy. Romans and Greeks both practiced ornithomancy, uh, and certainly they weren't the only ones to do this, but it's a form of divination with birds. So you sort of are observing the types of birds that flew, you might ask a question or ask the gods to send a message and then notice what birds come across the sky, what direction are they flying in, um, how are they flying and interpreting those as signs from the gods. In Norse mythology the god Odin is often represented by two crows and they are named thought and memory and Odin would send them out into the world to act as his spies and bring information back. In some Native American myths the raven is credited with bringing sunlight to humans and is seen as sort of a trickster who can transform in both their shape and intent. Um, The crow or the raven also appears in the Quran, in Japanese folklore, Irish and Welsh myths, the Hebrew Talmud, the Bible, and in many, many other places. They're sort of these almost universal beings. And these birds were often associated with fear or death because they would follow armies into war and they would feast on the dead after a battle. And so they, I think... This, I don't think this was why they became sort of harbingers of death, but they were very present in these kind of horrific times and were seen to sort of benefit from these horrors and so became associated in some way with death or ill omens. Some of their main kind of themes are acting as messengers or intermediaries, being bridges between life and death, um, transformation and shapeshifting. shifting In Irish folklore there's the Morrigan, the goddess of war, and she would often shape-shift into a crow for example. Um, so there's a really rich folklore around these creatures and we don't want to forget that because that's all that can be sort of embedded in us, in our lineages and in our cultural narratives. Even today there's, I can think of my daughter watches this show called Sophia the First and there's a magician Cedric on there who's kind of a two-faced sort of pathetic but also kind of evil sorcerer and his companion is of course the Raven and the Raven kind of does his spying and his evil bidding for him. And so this lives on in our cultures today. And I want to see if we can weave in some maybe different understandings of these birds and of, you know, what, it, what they might want to show us about these themes, messages, life and death, transformation. The main thing that I want to pull out is that I think the crow reminds us that we have access to the wisdom of the dark at all times. Crows don't hibernate. They actually don't even see well in the night in the dark so that's why they go and roost in these sort of well lit areas together and so they're not creatures of the night they're diurnal they're they're asleep at night and active during the day but they are jet black right they are completely black and so they remind us that we can bring the darkness and dark ways of knowing the unspoken the wisdom of the silence or of soil we can bring that into our busy lives We can tend our dead with the dark wisdom. We can gather food with that. We can, you know, raise our young. We can sit on our nests with this dark wisdom. We can sort of embody that and be that and be that sort of jet black even in the midst of our busy, well-lit, day-to-day lives. And also, I think the crow reminds us that what we might believe are bad Omens or bad signs aren't always as such. It could be mental patterning, you know, just sort of what we're used to seeing, or it could be a clear sort of deep knowing. But I think the a lot of the attributes that we assign to the crow and the raven have been, at least in Western culture, have been sort of mis, misassigned, right? The crows showing up on the battlefield aren't the problem. (laughs) The human addiction to war and violence and hierarchy is the problem. The fact that they are there, you know, potentially maybe helping the dead cross over into the land of the dead or benefiting, you know, from the flesh that they can eat there. Uh, The fact of that is that's not the problem, right? The human behavior that causes that death and destruction, that's the core sort of root of this. Um, And so when we see signs or when we think, you know, we hear the screech of a crow or we, you know, are feeling that sense of like tightening or like we're afraid something bad is going to happen or that's a bad sign or we feel our sort of superstition kick up it can be really helpful to remember that the sign is actually neutral, right? The sign is just the sign, and then we get to decide what to do with it. And, you know, do we want to look deeper? Do we? What do we need to understand to make sense of this? And we can sort of stand in our sturdiness there. I also think the adaptability of the crow and raven is really important to learn from right now. They are everywhere here. (laughs) Again, like they're very opportunistic eaters and creatures. And I think all of us could use a little bit more of that in our own day-to-day lives. And one of the ways that we might be able to do that is by bringing more darkness into our day. Again, a little bit goes a long way. You know, it might be turning one more lamp off or five more minutes in silence. How could actually adding in more darkness to our days or approaching things in a way that is of that sort of wisdom of the dark, how could doing so actually make us more adaptable and more resilient in the long run? And finally, of course, one of the consistent themes or attributes assigned to the crow is its role as an intermediary or messenger from the divine. And I really want to encourage you to tap into some kind of divination practice right now. The days are short, the nights are long, this is an excellent time to sort of tune in to what other messages might be trying to get through to you right now. And this is really just about having a conversation with the wider world with yourself but also these beings that again you're not anonymous to or unknown to you may not know the names of the plants that you share space with but they feel your presence when you're near them they know you and so the crow can remind us that there again is more than meets the eye almost always And that we don't have to live in these sort of binaries of like the daytime and the nighttime. That these jet black creatures can come in and remind us that the darkness can absolutely live throughout our days. Just like the stars come in and remind us that the light is always inside of the nighttime as well. So if you don't already have some kind of divination practice, this is a great time to just be playful and Start and you can just pretend you don't have to feel like it's real yet. If you already have a divination practice where you're using some kind of tool or pattern to sort of receive messages from the divine, that's great. And this is a good time to sort of amp that up if you feel like you need some extra support right now. It may sound odd, some of the things that I'll suggest just forms of divination, but. Actually, this is a very normal human behavior. It's actually really odd that we that this isn't more normal that we sort of approach everything cognitively or intellectually or with these sort of rational rubrics um, when we have access to. Signs and messages and clues all around us, all the time, within us and outside of us. And our ancestors would have been in regular conversation with the world around them, looking for signs, noticing patterns, trusting what they knew, and trusting the stories and wisdom that was handed down to them. So, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking through each of these forms of divination, but they are all ones that you can. Look more into and try out and there's there are so many of them and I encourage you to just go with the ones that feel sort of light and easy and fun. So of course today being about crows the first one I'll talk about is ornithomancy which is again intuiting an answer or an omen from the movements and sounds of birds. So getting yourself out into a space, introducing yourself, dropping in, asking a question and noticing what types of birds show up what do you hear is there a a white crane flying above you (laughs) what does that mean is it a group of crows screeching and fighting in the air what might that mean for you again just sort of using the natural world and benefiting from the creatures that you share it with to understand you know and have a conversation about your life and what's going on and what sort of support you might need. Um, Another one that is kind of fun and really accessible is Bibliomancy, which is using books and words to sort of receive a message from the divine. So getting still again and having a book with you can be any book. It doesn't matter. Asking a question and then opening up to a random page in that book and then putting your finger down and reading the words that your finger is on. And again, just pretending that that is a message from the divine and what might it have to say for you. And really letting yourself be fluid and adaptable and tap into that part of your being and your brain that can make sense of patterns and symbols and things that on their face may not make sense together but are actually weaving something new for you. Of course, there's cardomancy, which is divination using a deck of cards like the tarot or like an oracle deck. Um, So same kind of thing here, getting still, introducing yourself to the cards or to your deck, calling in a guide or helper to bring a message to you um, and shuffling those cards and turning one over and noticing what the symbols or the meanings might be and how your body reacts to them. Um, You could use a pendulum and ask questions and be in conversation with yourself and the divine in that way. So again, there's so many different entry points and ways in, and I just want to encourage you to try it and to just sort of lean into this right now because it's a way that you can bring in the wisdom of the dark, the sort of intuitive, silent, uh, subconscious wisdom into your day-to-day life you know, we consider ourselves very intelligent as humans, but I'm not sure how intelligent it really is to move throughout our lives without understanding or even attempting to understand how to communicate with the other than human world. (laughs) It's certainly not how we evolved or adapted. And I think there's a huge forgetting that happened and continues to happen. And this autumn and winter is such a lovely time to reclaim your right to be in conversation with the larger mysteries that surround you, to be in relationship and conversation with the crows that you share a neighborhood with, um, with the other birds that cross your path, with the plants, with the weather, with, you know, whatever has meaning to you. I know that this time of year is really busy and when there's a lot of fire but we can't really get out of it when it's like we're just in this thing and there's a lot of heat and activity and I'm not going to change it we don't have to, we can just add in the darkness again the crows aren't changing their behavior because it's you know nighttime or because the days are getting shorter they're bringing themselves their black selves into the day to day existence and they're animals and they're attending to their needs in that way. So we can do the same. We don't have to like clear our schedules or cancel everything right now. We can just add in a little bit of darkness and dark ways of being and see what happens. You know, maybe instead of like torturing yourself over a decision and trying to analyze every option, you just go with what feels right at this time. Or maybe you're having an interaction with someone and it's like feeling a little bit heated or you feel like you're in a familiar pattern and you just pull in some silence instead and see what happens. You know, you can just bring this dark sort of way of being into your life and stay really open to the patterns and messages and insights that you need and trust that they will come and that you're part of this very alive earth that is especially conversant right now I think I think the autumn and the spring times are these liminal bridges where the conversation really kicks up and we're part of that and so if you need insights or information right now or reassurance or encouragement you can ask for that you can ask your own helpers of course you can ask the people in your life but you can also ask the sky or the clouds or the crows or the plants or the trees to show you how to be here in a good way show you what to do and then listen and say thank you and I hope it's helpful (laughs) so that's what I have for you today my friends thank you for sharing this space with me if you benefit from the podcast I'd love to get your support for the show you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Megan Leatherman and I'll put that link in the show notes Again, if you want to work with the darkness more intentionally and do that together, um, the Needing More series started November 26th, but you can still join for the next three weeks and join us in sort of shutting off your electrical lighting earlier to get some added time in the darkness. And of course, I'm available for one-on-one work and guidance if you know that there's a big shift happening in the way that you are of service in the world, or live out your talents, or earn income, and you can learn all about that at awildnewwork.com, or the link in the show notes as well. I hope you take such good care. I will be back with you next week with a really delicious interview that I think you're going to love, and I think it's going to inspire you to go even deeper in your darkness practices, and yeah, I'm excited to be with you for that, but I will see you on the other side. Oh,